We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chineo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Villato. We're here tonight to wrap up the Giants' 25-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A wild and crazy game, really. Back and forth, Giants held an 11-point lead. It's the third game in a row they actually blew an 11-point lead. I think for various reasons that was, you know, I don't think it's one person or one player or one coach or whatever that led to each one of these. Um, I think you can kind of look at them more individual. And I know Nick would agree with me on that. But the fact of the matter is, it is another 11-point blown lead. They are now also 1-7 for the third time in four years. And the only time they weren't 1-7 in their first eight games was last year when they went 2-6. If that's not an indictment on Dave Gettleman, who rumors has it might keep his job, I don't know what is. I quite frankly can't fathom what else could possibly go into the brain trust here to think that it's acceptable to go one and seven, three or four years, and two and six the only other year. But as far as the game goes, there's a lot to talk about here in my mind. Just a ton to talk about in a game like this where they, again, had a 14 to three lead. They played, there's so many consistencies with this Giants team. So let's start there. The consistent thing, and we'll start with the good here, I think before we start to break down the real nitty and gritty of this, because it's going to get a little ugly tonight, folks, because we're going to talk about Daniel Jones 
and this was the worst game of Daniel Jones's career, which both Nick and I agree with, but we're probably going to come to a little bit different conclusions on where to go from there. But let's first talk about the good. The good is simple. This team is, Nick described this best to me before the pod, it's a really good bad team it's a really good one in seven team they literally are in every game they fight hard through all four quarters which wasn't always the case with ben mcadoo's teams it wasn't always the case with pat Shermer's teams it is and has been always the case with joe judge teams whether that be his coaching style whether that be people players all bought in or the practices whatever it may be that's led to it we're getting it and that's a good sign for when the talent gets better if the talent gets better, which I'm dubious of if Dave Gettleman's GM, but let's move on from that for now. That's the that's where I want to start with this, Nick. Would you agree that this is a team... Well, you're the one who made the statement, so why don't you explain it in your words? The team has been competitive in so many games. I mean, a lot of these games have been determined on the final drive of the game, where Daniel Jones has the football in his hands with a chance to either tie or win the game outright, and the Giants have just not been able to do that and that is a product of being a bad team but you think of some of the other bad teams in the nfl specifically in new york the new york jets these teams aren't even comparable the new york giants are fighting they are pushing some of the best teams in the nfl to the limit to the brink and making them sweat making their buttholes clinch up dude and the giants just aren't good enough to actually win these games but they're at least competitive they are at least playing their hearts out. Their defense is coached fantastically by Patrick Graham. Yeah. I think the the offense, I mean, Jason Garrett's a, a hot-button topic kind of. I think some of his game plans can be solid with the in terms of what he has to work with with a young offensive line. You have to be able to get the ball out of the hands. I think situationally he can be a bit better, and we've gone back and forth on that on this podcast. But the team as a whole under Joe Judge is 1-7, which is despicable. But when you look at how they've gotten to 1-7, and seven, and how competitive they've been, it's like, well, there's something to work with here. For a really, really bad team, they're a pretty solid, really, really bad team. Yeah, and I think that if you ask both of us, Nick and I, our evaluation, our opinion, we'll both tell you that this 1-7 record is a lot more to do with Dave Gettleman than it is Joe Judge. Oh, yeah. And for me, I'd put a little bit more of a lean on Jason Garrett, personally. I think that he will never be a successful offensive coordinator for the Giants. I think they will be able to win with him if they win with that in spite of him, because that happens a lot in the NFL. You see some quarterbacks and some teams win in spite of play calling. But when it comes down to it, situationally speaking, Jason Garrett has multiple major flaws in his game. The jet sweep with two minutes left on that final drive from your own 20 was a despicable call. Never could work. The red zone third and 11 screen pass a red zone screen pass on the outside when, when the defense is condensed in the red zone with speedy linebackers like the Bucks have is a guarantee to not work. So if you instead throw a ball, I don't know, to the back pylon on a fade, you might get a pass interference. You might get a touchdown catch on a really nice play on the ball like Tate made on the final touchdown. You might get an incompletion, but you won't but you, but you will have a chance to do something there. You won't have a chance there. And these are not individual calls of one bad game from Garrett. Nick loves to talk. Nick and I have discussed, and we do love to discuss the two play calls early on in the season: the interception in the red zone against the Steelers that turned that game. That's an atrocious call by by Jason Garrett. And I'm not forgetting the other one, but it was also in the red zone. Really, uh, my biggest issues and gripes with Garrett come in a variety of ways. One, he's still the sixth most, uh, I think the Giants were the seventh most second and 10 runs in the NFL. 
that's a huge problem. It's guaranteed to be a disaster when you run on second and 10. It's the worst decision you can make as a coach in the NFL. All the studies show it. It's an atrocious negative EV play. And his red zone play calling. That's really what it comes down to for Garrett. I agree with you, Nick. He's doing he's doing some really interesting things with what he has to work with. The two throwback passes he had in this game were excellent play calls that got the Giants chunk plays, which is rare for this offense. The play the offense doesn't get chunk plays for the most part. Those are great play calls. Sometimes he has really good play calls. The red zone, the I'm sorry, the two-point conversion play, the, the design to, to Deion Lewis, that's an incredible design by Jason Garrett. He has Deion Lewis wide open in the flat. If Daniel Jones doesn't take that second hitch for whatever, God knows whatever reason he took that second hitch and doesn't throw that ball super late, or even if he he does take that second hitch and throw that ball super late but throws it to the back pylon instead of the inside shoulder Deion Lewis that's a conversion and that's because of Garrett Garrett made that happen so Garrett has his flashes he's kind of a lot like Daniel Jones in some ways he has his flashes but overall this mostly it's the situational play calling that bothers me and obviously the second and 10 runs but ultimately I would say with the exception of Garrett this is mostly a one in seven team due to Gettleman I really like what I've seen from Judge besides some of those punts we've talked about and Patrick Graham how much can you say about the guy this defense was on the field drive after drive after drive three and out three and out they're forcing Brady to throw in completions they're stuffing every single run play that comes their way with the exception of that final pitch play to the outside to Fournette which they really only got him once on they tried it multiple times so there's a lot of things in place that make this team look like it should be kind of, you know, three and five. I don't want to say four and four, but maybe two, three and five, let's three say. And five three fair. and five is fair. But ultimately, when you have a GM that puts this roster on paper, and there's still so many holes in the roster. I mean, Nick said it best. Jason Garrett is handicapped a bit by this offensive line, and that's not the only hole in the roster. So ultimately, for me, it's obviously a Gettleman problem, but I do want to touch on a few more things with regards to this game. I think we both agree, Nick, and this is not something that's been a common take for us, that the reason the Giants lost this game is ultimately because of Daniel Jones. It's 100% ultimately because of Daniel Jones. And just to touch on that third and 11 play, Jason Garrett throwing the ball to Deion Lewis, that play is never going to work. Lewis Riddick articulated that. And yeah, I do think it's like you would like to see a shot at the back pylon. You would like to see something like that. But that play calls such an indictment on Daniel Jones and just what Daniel Jones has been doing up to that point because – Daniel Jones already took a sack in a similar situation that did not work out. He's thrown two dumb picks by that point. Mm -hmm. You don't want to put him in that position. And you'll also have a offensive line that consists of your left side as two rookies. You're going up against a Todd Bowles defense, a really, really good defense. So that's kind of where Jason Garrett's mindset was. I don't want to come off as a Jason Garrett apologist. I'm just saying that. No, you're not. But I do feel like like he gets a really, really bad rep. But there are reasons why he has to make these conservative play calls that tend to grind my gears as well but when you look you have cam fleming and andrew thomas who are two of the worst tackles in the league starting and then you have a quarterback who's supposed to be a bright spot for your offense but he's he was terrible in this game like let's just call a spade a spade man daniel jones lost this game for the new york giants he made several dumb decisions he missed several opportunities to capitalize and make this really talented bucks defense pay and he just did not throw the football he did not see it he did not read the coverage he was fooled by the pre-snap look and when the post-snap look happened he just locks onto a read and then tries to force a football this is rookie level type stuff that we're seeing from daniel jones in this monday night game stuff that we really haven't seen much from him this season and then that's just the mental side of things. Then you get into the ball placement side of things. Outside of that Golden Tate touchdown throw, which was beautiful, the ball placement was— And the was, Lewis, the Lewis touchdown. Yeah, the, the Lewis was good, too. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't beautiful, but good. Yeah, it was, it was a very good throw. You know, you had to put some touch on that yeah. for sure. But 
most of the throws in this game were bad throws. They were yeah. not placed well. They did not have good touch. They didn't have the right velocity. They came off like ducks, some of them, if you looked. And I know Brady was off. The, maybe it was something with the weird weather going on at MetLife Stadium, but this was by far and away his worst game as a professional. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I want to. I do want to get into the Jones because there's going to be a lot of Jones come up. I agree with your ultimate take that not only did Jones, is Jones the reason they lost this game because that's without a doubt for me. If he doesn't uh, force those two turnovers, if he doesn't miss Shepard on the wide open touchdown on the slant and go, if he doesn't miss Slayton on the wide open vertical, wide open, even more open than Shepard was. This was five or six steps, and I don't know why he came off that read and went back to the right side to throw the interception. If he doesn't miss even the Ingram throw that was a first down, if that ball's placed well that's a touchdown we've seen Ingram beat the, now the safety may have the angle but we've also seen Ingram put that second gear into play that's literally his best trait Evan Ingram and score a touchdown on that and then I think there was one more oh even the Slayton deep post where you can say Slayton maybe should run under it but if that's a good ball I mean you could still put that ball on him he has separation he's literally running two or three yards in the end zone to that post so that's a third touchdown missed um and we'll get into Jones because there's a lot I want to say there and I want to talk to you about that and get your take but I do want to wrap up one more thing on Garrett that I think is a little troubling um, and I do agree with what you were saying before. More so, it is it is worrisome that it's a bit of an indictment on the quarterback who, after the game, Joe Judge said, no, he's our quarterback. We're not even considering sitting him down if he plays like this. And I agree with that take. There's literally nothing to gain to put in Colt McCoy. It would be a disgusting move and just totally pointless move. Having said that, <laughs> having said that, if what you're saying is true, and it might be, and you're scared to call a third down, third and 11 pass play to the end zone because your quarterback has a tendency to throw turnovers in the red zone this season that's not good long term that's not healthy for an nfl team as far as wins and losses goes it's not just the interceptions but it's also the protection you don't want to get knocked out of field goal range or even like yes graham gano can kick it from 55 yards he's proven that but you don't even want to put him into that kind of position so it's just i I don't love it you know but I, i i see what they're the why they're making that call and I think it is because Daniel Jones looks so bad up to that point. Yeah, it's a fair statement to make. Um, there's still going to be some good we want to touch on. There's a lot of good players that played on the defense side of the ball and on offense. I want to talk about Wayne Gallman a little bit, who I like a lot. I want to talk about uh, Darius Slayton a little bit, who I like a lot. Uh, or no, who I obviously like a lot, but I thought had a really nice game and really saved the final drive himself. And Sterling Shepard, who made some really big-time catches and continues to create separation. But I do want to touch on one more massive thing before we get to the big one which is jones and that's alfred morris (laughs) nick i have never been more frustrated since the end of the eli era and i date this back even further before the i can't remember a time i've been more frustrated watching a giants football game because i've at this point just come to the conclusion that they're going to find ways to lose games this is a team that has just 10 wins in the gettleman era four against washington football team two against backup quarterbacks okay one with that weird last second field goal last year against the tampa bay Buccaneers in a game they probably should have lost let's be honest (laughs) that's a very lucky win but having said that what i can't come to the conclusion of is, and this is on Jason Garrett in my mind. He's Jason Garrett's buddy. He's his friend. He had him in Dallas. He knows the system, I guess. This is a guy who's been out of the NFL for multiple years right now. He's on the backside of 30. He was a former undrafted rookie free agent who just lucked his way into Kyle Shanahan's system and ran for a 1,000 a couple times as the lucky guy in Kyle Shanahan's can't-miss run block system that literally turns in 1,000-yard rushers out of anything. Tevin Coleman, Jermichael Hasty who's the idiot, Raheem Mostert, 
come on. And yet, on the backside of 30, Jason Garrett has the audacity to put him in the game for two series tonight, two wasted series, eight carries, 28 yards, including two plays that were incredibly well-blocked. His 11-yard run, if you take away his one 11-yard run, which was a great double pull that the Giants blocked up extremely well, and we're going to talk about the Giants' run blocking too, because that's another bright side that me and Nick really want to see the All-22 on. But before we do that, his takeaway is one 11-yard run. This loser, and I'm calling him a loser. I don't care. Fine, he's not a loser. That's mean. This guy who should not be in the NFL, that's fair to say, had seven carries for 17 yards besides that 11-yard run that was just purely well-blocked. He plotted. He showed no wiggle. He showed no burst. He showed no elusivity, uh, elusiveness. He doesn't force missed tackles. He doesn't break tackles. He is a terrible running back who should not be in the NFL, and Jason Garrett put him out there for two series. It's an indictment on everything and it goes so much deeper than just Garrett's decision. It goes up to Gettleman. The fact that Gettleman would let this guy go on the roster instead of taking a chance on a talent that you like, that you scouted in either of the last two draft classes. Guess what? Running back's the deepest position in the entire NFL. There's talent littered all across the league. The Jaguars just found James Robinson out of nowhere. The 49ers found Raheem Mostert out of nowhere. This stuff happens all the time, and you don't even take the chance on that. You want to give someone, you want to spell Wayne Gallman for whatever reason, which I disagree with, by the way. I think they should lean on him during this time where Freeman is out and that's clear if you watch the tape and you watch how Gallman ran tonight but if you want to do that fine but at least take a chance to find your James Robinson to find your Raheem Moser do not put a guy who's been out of the NFL former undrafted free agent only had a few good seasons running behind a, a can't miss blocking scheme and is th- on the wrong side of 30 into your football team and don't you dare try to pass that and he was plotting he had no wiggle it was a disgusting. I have never been more frustrated than watching 41 on the field for multiple series. I thought the one series was a joke. I thought it was a gag. I thought Gallman was hurt. It turns out he wasn't hurt. This was game plan by Garrett. Split the carries. Morris and Gallman. Now, it wasn't a full split. Thank thank God in the second half, they lean more on Gallman. Thank God this guy could see it. Because if Jason Garrett is an NFL offensive coordinator and couldn't actually watch with his own two eyes the difference between having 22 and 41 on the field tonight, then he should have been fired on the spot, not given his pink slip, and hand in your key card. That's my take on that. Because that was disgusting. I hope we never see Morris get another snap this season. But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. 
Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. It's a product of, I mean, you alluded to it, Alfred Morris knowing the system, and I think that's something that coaches really value. And the Giants brought in guys like Javon Leak and that running back kid from Clemson, and they just didn't, they couldn't crack the, the roster. And Garrett wanted to bring in somebody who he had familiarity with. And this is also a product of not having Saquon Barkley. They want to split carries for some reason. They don't want to lean on Wayne Gallman. I'm not really 100% sure why. Ideally, I would like to see a lot more Wayne Gallman out there than Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris is obviously <laughs> the tread on the tires is uh, not exactly. He had nothing out there. I <laughs> yeah. mean, let's be honest. Let's call spade exa- a spade. Besides knowing the system, he had nothing out there. He doesn't. He doesn't have the burst or anything like that. He, he just plotted. He plotted. But he, it was some of the time, worst running back play I've seen in decades. I don't know if it's that bad. But Nick, watch it. I want you to tell me that. I, I'll, 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 I'll agree with you for now, but I want you to come back to me after you watch all the twenty-two and tell me if that wasn't the grossest running back play you've ever it's seen. It's not good, but I've seen, some, I've seen some pretty bad running. Besides back Ronnie Hillman, who fumbled the ball seventeen <laughs> times last year, whatever that was in that Patriots the, game. The thing about the thing about Alfred Morris is he knows how to hit landmarks. He knows where to be, when to be. Just he's not a great athlete. He knows where to be and when to be, and he can't get to the spot. I mean, honestly, though, dude, I mean, he had 3.5 yards per carry, and Wayne Gallman had... That includes had, the 11-yarder yeah, that he Wayne got Gallman blocked had, perfectly Wayne Gallman had a 3.7, he had a 17-yarder, so... And I, and I but agree. But was Gallman on this. Yes, and I... Yeah, that, that's my point, though. And then Wayne Gallman, I agree, obviously, I test, much more elusive, fucking finds the hole, love Wayne finishes Gallman. Finishes runs. Finishes runs not really Morris strong. is not finishing runs. Alfred Morris was falling forward a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. It was mostly he a was plod. Getting, he was getting three he yards here he, and there. He was plotting. I'm not trying to stick up for Alfred Morris, but I'm saying that's the mindset behind what Jason Garrett is thinking. And I, I know what the mindset is. I, I just love disagree it. with it, and yeah. I will never come around to it. Trust me, I would love to take a, a swing on someone like James Robinson yeah. or something like that. And, I mean, the Jaguars did, and it worked out for them. But this COVID year was another kind of tricky thing when it came to rookie mini camps and things like that so there's going to bring in a lot more of kind of this disgusting options that coaching staffs are just more familiar with i'm fine to an extent but not to the extent of bringing back a 30 a, a, a former undrafted region who was never really good just a system fit in with shanahan and that's not even kyle that this is how old alfred morris we're talking about mike <laughs> shanahan mike. not kyle shanahan not the 49ers coach we're talking about mike shanahan he was good with robert griffin that's how old Alfred Morris is in NFL years. I mean, this is but we don't even I don't even need to sell you on that. You guys all saw it. You saw what that was tonight. Every time he touched the ball it was disgusting. It was there was no wiggle, no burst, no he doesn't force missed tackles and he doesn't break missed tackles. That's a running back who should not be in the NFL. Yeah, I, I was shocked when I saw him out there as much as he was out there. I, I thought Wayne Gallman had some sort of injury, and I'm actually still curious on Maybe Wayne Goldman had something where they're like, look, we're going to have to split carries because he's dealing with X, Y, Z. 
And I don't know that for a fact, to be honest. But even it, so, though, I'd rather see Deion Lewis. I'd rather see Deion Lewis. That's fair. That's There's fair. no one I'd, I can't think of a single running back right now on any NFL roster that I'd rather have out there. That I'd rather have Alfred Morris out there. I, I can't. I'd have to search down our <laughs> lads. I'll go to rlads.com, which is probably the best depth chart source out there, and take a look down our lads. If any of you listeners who enjoy the pod, find one for me. Let's have some fun. Let's do a little interaction. Find a running back on any roster in the NFL that you would rather have Alfred Morris than that guy on the field. Find me one. Uh, and, and it has to be active roster. It has to be 53 because Alfred Morris was on the 53 for tonight. Find me. And and, if, and we, I'll let you go any of the weeks, weeks one through eight. Find me a single active running back. And if, and if you can make the case that I'd rather have Alfred Morris, and I'll be open to it, I will. So just look for that. Throw it in my DMs or Knicks. Let's have some fun with it. But anyway, let's move on from the Alfred Morris point. Let's talk about Daniel Jones. So you made your case at first. I want to drop a little thing in here, and then I want to throw it back to you because I don't want to. I don't want to dominate this conversation. This has to be free flowing. We have to go back and forth, and we have to figure out where we're at with this. For me, with Daniel Jones, I agree with you that he's the reason they lost the game, and I agree with you that this was the worst game of his career. But that's not the question at mind for me. What really stands out for me right now, Nick, is that this is probably the first time for real that I've had my serious serious doubt that he's going to be the franchise quarterback now as you know and as listeners of this podcast probably know and nick knows for sure because we talked about it a bunch i've waned on him this year i thought it's been a really bad year for jones in general i don't think he's made the progression i hoped he had like like we said from the beginning of the year me and nick said this all off season if jones was going to take that next step it was going to be from a mental processing standpoint and i think we would both agree at this point that aspect of his game the mental processing has regressed and tonight was kind of the a really good example of that, but it's kind of happened all season. He's still locking onto uh, his first read a lot, like Nick said, and that's he's making pre-snap determinations locking on. He's still not doing a good job of seeing the field overall. His post-snap processing is just not there. And this was the issue at Duke, and like Nick and I have discussed, that's not all his fault. That's what Duke's offense is. But when you play in an offense like that for years, you get used to that. You get used to locking onto your reads. You get used to making your determinations before the snap, and it kind of limits your ability to grow after the snap. And if you don't see the field fully after the snap, you're going to miss a lot of big plays. If you look at the first interception of the game where Jones comes back to the right side and throws a ball way too far to the inside for the interception of ball, he clearly should have just sailed out of bounds. In reality, what he should have done was look back to his left, flick back to his left, and throw the go route to Darius Slayton, which was four or five steps of separation for an easy touchdown jones could have thrown that ball super high and lofty and it would have been a touchdown that's how much space he had that's if he even connected on it too that's like yeah. a whole nother thing there were several plays and that's the other thing the several plays where you're like oh he he might have him he might have him and then he overthrew it he underthrew it yep. threw it a little bit too far inside didn't throw it enough inside on the one enough. ball it's just it, it was a the v- ball placement was atrocious tonight that's I, the only way to describe it that was rookie le- that wasn't rook that was fifth se- seventh round level ball placement tonight now that's not that Jones. was almost Danucci. that was almost Danucci it was level. almost Danucci level oh he, he Danucci. He, he Danucci. no he didn't he tonight he Danucci. he Danucci tonight a little he bit. almost <laughs> Danucci tonight which is crazy because he's not a Danucci. the one thing you like about jones the flashes with jones is the fact that he has really good upper body mechanics and is until this game his ball placement has been really good over the course of his career it really has but i want to get into not that because that's just tonight what has really started to really bother me with Jones 
ultimately and why um I mean the ultimate thing of why we really should be concerned about him as a franchise quarterback is the turnovers I mean at this point they're frequent they're every game they're consistent he makes way too many hero ball plays and I and you can't you you can't be a franchise quarterback if you turn the ball over this rate obviously the hope for me and Nick this whole time has been that as the team improves around him those will go down which is possible but there is still a little bit too much hero ball in him and he still makes a lot of stupid decisions but we'll get to that in a second but what really is concerning to me about Daniel Jones right now, and it's not the ball placement, it's the footwork in the pocket. What I see when I watch Jones, and I've seen this so often this season, I think he does a really bad job of maneuvering within the pocket. Watch Tom Brady play the quarterback position. He doesn't really like to escape to his right, and that's something Jones always does. He always escapes his right, even on that amazing play on the final drive that Darius Slayton made that should have been the game over. Jones, for some odd reason, you'll watch this play on All-22, go look it up when you have the chance, rolls to his right way too early, escapes to his right. Then, because he escapes to his right, there's pressure. There wouldn't be pressure if he does what, if he does what Brady does, which is kind of use your footwork within the pocket to really just kind of move within that small box. It's a really small range. You're kind of moving your feet. You're shuffling. You're readjusting. You're letting the blocking stay in front of you. And on that play, there's really no pressure on the interior. Jones really needs to stay in that pocket. And this happens far too often for me. I'm seeing way too many examples of him rolling to his right when he doesn't need to, when he needs to stay in the pocket and just really escaping too early. That's one thing. But I also think on a second level, there's times, and this especially happens on the throws to his left. It happened on the ball he missed to Shepard for the touchdown, and it happened on another ball he missed to the left pass. He, when he's when he's when he's throwing to the left side, to the field side, he drifts, and his footwork is all over the place. And this was a major issue that Turchin brought up when we broke him down after he was drafted. He said, "What I really think is going to be a big problem for Jones is that he does a lot of drifting to his left, and he drifts and he drifts and he drifts. And he moves backwards and he moves backwards, and then he ends up throwing off." Plat- platform when he doesn't need to he threw off platform on the shepherd miss and he threw a platform another what really needs to happen is his footwork in the pocket needs to get a lot better and that's something that we've talked about before but that's not something that david cutcliffe did a good job with him at duke while he did a great job with his upper body mechanics he throws a really nice compact ball for the most part obviously tonight i don't know what happened the ball placement was all over the place he threw a lot of ducks we've discussed that we don't know what tonight was it was kind of a blip from that standpoint but the footwork was never really worked on well at duke and it's not getting much better here. I thought Pat Shermer actually did a really good job working on that with him in his rookie season. I don't think Jason Garrett has done an excellent job working on that with him. I think he's regressing in that regard. So when you factor in these three major things for me with Jones, which is one, his footwork in the pocket, drifting to the left, especially when he throws to the left, and his tendency to escape to his right when he doesn't need to and to not manage himself well within the pocket, when you also consider his poor post-snap processing and his poor vision of the entire field and when you throw the third thing in which is the tendency to make hero play turnovers I don't know that I that I have much faith in him I got to be honest as a long-term quarterback for the New York Giants and that's the that's the big concern right there and I don't think any of the things that you just mentioned were ever Jones's strong suit. I think Giant fans hoped he would grow out of it. And yeah. as he gained experience and as he matured a little bit, he would develop the timing and the rhythm that you need to kind of stay within structure. And I believe maybe that was going to be possible. But I think a lot of this stuff was compounded by this really horrendous offensive line play. And now he's relying, trying to rely on his athletic ability and 
he's kind of developing some poor habits that he's going to have to find a way to break out of. He's going to have to find a way to trust this offensive line, which is obviously not something that they've earned, I guess you could say, this season. I mean, they played a lot better in this game. A lot better. A lot better. But he's definitely developing these habits where he's going to roll right. Oh, can I rush the football? Oh, do I have an angle on the linebacker or or the safety? Oh, I do. Okay. I'm going to take it. Oh, I don't. Oh, is there anybody open? Now I'm going to fade back and wait for somebody to come open. Now I'm going to fade back and wait for somebody to come open. And hopefully I don't get sacked. And then hopefully I throw it out of bounds. Hopefully I don't throw an interception. And these are all kind of little things that he's developing. And this is only his second year. He doesn't have He's about halfway through his second season when you factor in the fact that he did not start the first two games of his rookie season and he missed two games due to injury last year. But these are habits that he's going to have to break out of. These are habits of Jason Garrett. These are habits the quarterback's coach and really that entire offensive coaching staff need to kind of figure out. You need to get Daniel Jones right. You need that offensive line. You need Mark Colombo to stabilize that offensive line. It looked like they played better, like we said. But you're not wrong, Dan, because these are all little habits that a lot of people don't necessarily realize on the broadcast but when you turn on that all 22 you start you start seeing it kind of happening more and more i would say in the last couple games especially with andrew thomas struggling you saw it a little bit in his rookie season as well but you're right without pat Shermer, it seems like it's kind of gotten worse this year it does really feel like it has gotten worse that pat Shermer, which makes me think he really did an excellent job coaching the quarterbacks i know we all none of us feel that pat Shermer should still be the head coach of the new york giants I feel that he would be a better coordinator right now than Jason Garrett. I don't think it's even a question in my mind, even though he did and still continues to run the ball more than any other coach. Now, this year, I think he's third most in the—or no, second most in the NFL with the Broncos on second and 10 runs. Last year with the Giants, he was third most. That's his fatal flaw. But as far as the work he does with quarterbacks and obviously his passing game, it's night and day, in my opinion, when it comes to Jason Garrett and also Daniel Jones, how he's developed in that sense— But having said that, really ultimately what it comes down to for Jones is this. We said it before the year. The only way this type of quarterback, because listen, guys, anyone who's watched Daniel Jones for any extent of time knows that while he does have good upper body mechanics and for the most part has good ball placement, this is not next level arm talent, guys. This is not Kyler Murray arm talent. This is not Justin Herbert arm talent. This is not Patrick Mahomes arm talent. It's acceptable arm talent it's ryan Tannehill level arm talent it's solid but those type of quarterbacks when you're that type of quarterback you need to do the following things well you need to manage the pocket well you can't escape too early you need to not drift when you're when you're throwing to the left uh drift backwards and throw off your back foot you need to most importantly process post snap you can't let your whole game be decided before the snap you're never going to win the nfl like that defensive coordinators are too smart defense coordinators are too good they're going to take away what they're showing you they that you think you got you think you figured it out pre-snap defense coordinators, bang snap they turn it on you in a second and you don't have that post snap now what do you do you can't lock on and then thirdly and this one is totally you know kind of different from those this type of prospect that he is you know the Tannehill type and I don't even want to compare him to Matt Ryan because originally I did but then when you watch Matt Ryan his post-snap processing is so next level that you realize that's why he's the quarterback he is it's all because of his ability to process post-snap and Jones is so far behind that and he did so little of it at Duke I just don't see it really changing much too much I think it can get better but I don't think it ever is going to come to that Matt Ryan level. I think it can be more of a Ryan Tannehill level. And guess what? You watch Tannehill play on the Titans, there's not too much next-level processing. It's just a lot of heavy play action and defined reads, and that's fine because he doesn't turn the ball over a lot, and he's really accurate, 
and he throws a really good touch. He throws with pretty good uh, touch down the field. So eventually he can be that kind of quarterback, but uh, there's so many flaws right now in his game. Uh, I'll ask you this, Nick. Scale of 1 to 10, confidence factor that in five years from now, or sorry, in three years from now, Daniel Jones will be the starting quarterback in the New York Giants. How many years did you say? Three. Let's do three. Three years, confidence. Fine. No, no, no. That's not fair enough because they might just drag it out through the rookie. Con- How about five years? That would mean he would get a second contract and he would be, and he would have a good year on I'm, his- I'm going to call it straight down the line, 50-50. I think it's a five because I, it's, it's hard to say how he's going to progress. I mean, he, it, it, a lot of people want to point to the fact that he may have regressed right now. I, I think uh, he's being there's a lot of different coverages, a lot of different things, a lot of different situations that are being thrown his way, and he's not rising to the occasion. And now it's being a trend because Giant fans watching that game, we all knew the script, we all knew what was going to happen. And actually, this time at least the Giants were able to lead the touchdown, almost touchdown winning drive. I guess you could say they just didn't get the two point conversion, but at least they actually scored on that thanks to you know one really ridiculous play by Darius Slayton. I'm not trying to take anything away from Daniel Jones, but. I mean, this coaching staff's going to need to figure it out. Jerry Shaplinski, who's the quarterback's coach, is going to need to figure it out. He has a lot of ties to Bill Belichick, a lot of ties to Josh McDaniels, and you hope that they can kind of stabilize Daniel Jones. And I honestly think a big part of this, yes, I think the processing and everything that we just laid out over the last 10, 15 minutes is huge, but I think the biggest indictment on Jones is you need to mitigate these turnovers. And these turnovers that are just dumb turnovers. What are you doing turnovers? Both those interceptions were just stupid turnovers on Daniel Jones' part. Like, why are you throwing that football? You're, there's no reason to be throwing that football in this situation. He needs to put himself in a better position to either throw the ball away, take a sack, and kind of be just a better decision maker. Because his decision making is not up to par right now for where he should be, even though he's young in his career. But he keeps making the same mistakes man it's the same mistakes and he's not learning from them and that concerns me yeah I think if you ask me do I think that Daniel Jones will be the quarterback in five years from now scale of one to ten I'm gonna go two two yeah Mm. Uh, this was a tough game for me this was it's compounded it's been a lot building up to this point but when I just factor in the fact that he doesn't really have any next level traits besides mm-hmm. maybe his ball placement, but even that is not really always that amazing. It's good in our mind, but we don't want, I mean, neither of us have the time to watch all 32 quarterbacks. We don't really know what it looks like across the NFL. Like, again, like, I think I see a clear indication that he's considerably better than guys like Drew Locke, who I think consistently struggle with ball placement and keeping an offense on schedule. Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins. Haskins. Like, but that to me is not somebody who, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to predicting a franchise quarterback in five years. That just means he's not out of the NFL in five years um so for me there's what when I when I see the lack of defining trait in addition to all the three things I discussed the footwork the inability to post that process and the main thing you discussed which really we don't talk about enough it's just this heavy turnover flow it's just so many and there's a lot more turnover where he plays on that final drive before the fourth and 16 he threw a a stop route that should have been picked by 54 that he dropped out of his hands he garrett keeps going to garrett keeps putting on tape in these two minute drills the button hooks and the stop routes and Defensive backs are literally just sitting on this route and jumping it for the pick. It's led to multiple interceptions already, and that one should have been another interception. The one before that at the beginning of the drive, 
on the first and 10 before he tried the jet sweep on second and 10 could have been picked too. There's been a lot of close calls on these stupid button hooks. Garrett's put it on film way too much. He has to adjust as any good coach would and see that, okay, I've put this on film a lot. That means defensive coordinators are seeing it and they're going to prepare for it and they're going to have their defensive backs stop and jump those routes. So that is a little bit coaching too, but Again, there's a lot of turnover-worthy plays in addition to the footwork and the lack of post-net processing. I just don't see enough there to believe that this is a guy who will be the franchise court, to, to be any higher than a two right now in five years. Now, I don't think the Giants are going to take a quarterback in this draft, and there are so many intriguing names. I am loving this Zach Wilson kid. I'm watching this kid from BYU. This arm talent is, whoo, boy, is this kid throwing the ball well. But again, John Mara is not going to move on from Daniel Jones. And I'll get to later, way later on in this podcast. We'll get to if I think that's a correct decision or not. But when it comes to right now, my confidence level in Daniel Jones being the quarterback in five years from now, I'm going to put it at a two, unfortunately. I'm not going to really contend with you either because I think your logic is sound with what you're saying. I think two, five, I mean, it's kind of a crapshoot at this point. He hasn't really shown us enough development I feel to really go above a five or a six or something like that. Yeah. And then you also got to consider the fact that do you think Dave Gettleman is going to be the general manager in five years? More than likely not. God and can only hope not. So, Jesus Christ. Usually when you bring I mean, in new general managers. Oh my God. If Dave Gettleman's a general manager in five years, I don't know. If, I, I don't even know. I might have a heart attack, Nick. No, nah, I, I mean, I, that's very, very unrealistic. <laughs> no, no, Dave Gettleman's not going to be the general manager in five but years. But if. Dave Gettleman is even the general manager for the next two. One even, year. Even one, they're going to bring in, probably going to stay in-house, unless I know there's reports that uh, Casario from the from the Patriots might be the guy to come to New York. But uh, we're looking kind of in the future right now. We're, it's it's going to be determined, I guess, a bit later to find out what exactly happens with this general manager job. Because I know you have, uh, you have some opinions on it. Yeah, I think we'll wait on the GM stuff because there was a big article today from Ralph Acchiano, who I do believe at this point in time, now that you know guys like Mike Garofolo have moved on from the beat, Ralph is without a doubt the most connected beat guy in the Giants, in my mind, as far as sources go. And he had an interesting article, but I think we might actually try to tackle that on a solo pod. I was thinking about that myself, and I was going to bring that up to you. I don't think we need to do this in reaction pod as far as that goes. But I will wrap up the Daniel Jones discussion before we move on to some quick takeaways on other players, and then we'll wrap up the show with a quote from Bruce Arians from tonight. Bruce Arians said, you know, the young quarterback, he's still trying to do too much. It cost them basically the ball game throwing those two picks, and I think he's spot on there. I mean, he also said, but God bless him that he is hard to handle, and he's a kid that thinks he can make a play. And yeah, that is kind of his mindset. He always thinks he can make a play, no matter how dire the situation is. But that hero ball stuff is not a positive. It is at times. It has been at times in our Giants fanhood with Eli Manning. We all know that. There's been times Eli Manning's played some hero ball, and it's worked out, for sure. David Tyree play obviously comes to mind. Multiple other players. But plays, I'm sorry. But ultimately speaking, when it comes to arm talent, Eli Manning and Daniel Jones weren't on the same level. They weren't even close to on the same level. You want to watch early Eli Manning, the zip he threw the ball, and the placement on some of those throws? It's not It's it's not even comparable to Daniel Jones. And that's a main reason why Daniel Jones was viewed by most as a mid-round, mid-second round prospect, because of the arm talent issues, um, in addition to other things. But again, hero ball when you're lacking arm talent is a risky situation. We saw tonight when that ball died 
uh, on the right in the first interception. We saw it on the second interception, and we saw it on a few other plays that should have been interceptions, quite frankly, those stop routes. So ultimately with Daniel Jones, I've lost a lot of the confidence I had last year, which sucks because I was riding pretty high last year. The ball placement was so good last year, and he was making plays downfield. He really saw Pat Shermer's system super well. And again, I really think Pat Shermer did an excellent job improving his footwork which I don't think we're seeing this season. We're seeing way more drifting than we saw last season and way more escaping in the pocket uh, to his right. But again, that's how we'll wrap up Jones for now. There's more to come on that. This is going to be a topic conversation for a long time on the Big Blue Banter podcast, um, ultimately. But let's talk about some quick hits on players that I liked or that we liked or disliked tonight. I want to start with the offensive line. I want to start with Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux. You said it best. There were a couple plays out in space where Nick Gates does a really good job. He's excellent out in space. I mean, there was a play. Now the game is escaping me, but it might have been against Dallas where he kicked out into space and he just annihilated. Uh, a, I think it was a linebacker. It could have been against the Washington football team as well. But he's pretty good when the Giants decide to run the, the double pullers. He, him and the backside guard, they kick out. and Sometimes they even do G lead with the play side guard. They kick out whenever the, those two players are uncovered, and they can do that. And those guys are pretty good at locating smaller athletic defenders. And there was another play in this game where he did that, and I, I want to see it on the All-22. But Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux, I felt like in his first start as a professional football player, looked solid. I thought Andrew Thomas looked pretty solid than the one time he was beat around the edge. But outside of that, it wasn't like he was just getting dominated all the time. And you know Jason Garrett kind of had to get creative against this Bucks defense to keep them on their toes. There were those weird, you know, backside passes. Golden Tate completed a pass in this game yeah. that almost broke for it would have been a, probably a big game if JPP didn't make that really nice play on Sterling Shepard. But then the offensive line, they were kind of dominating the point of attack. And it's not something I expected against Ndamukongsu, against Steve McClendon, against JPP, against just a very talented team. And yeah, they don't have Vita Vea anymore, which is a gigantic loss for Tampa Bay. I think it's kind of understated how good Vita Vea really is. But the Giants were still able to win at the point of attack without Will Hernandez for, I don't want to say win, but at least hold their own enough to where the Giants could establish a rushing attack and not be total liabilities when Daniel Jones dropped back to pass. Because, yes, Daniel Jones had a terrible game. Usually it's a product of his offensive line when this happens. This time it was on him, though. Yeah, I mean, again, you're right about that. And we and I think ultimately we have to see the All-22 to really know in the offensive line. But I yeah. think at this point we're both gaining some confidence. And at worst case, the Giants can use this position as one they don't desperately need to upgrade this offseason at center obviously we would prefer a great center at the point of attack who can hold up play strength wise and is not going to you know lose to some guys like Vita Vey if they were on the field but they're not going to fix every position in one offseason we know that to be the case <laughs> this roster we definitely know that to be the case um and so ultimately this is a guy that at worst can come in next year again as a starter maybe continue to build on the, the positives and at best or, or I'm sorry no, at best, and at worst, be a great depth piece for them. And I think I really want to see Shane Lemieux because after the game, Joe Judd said we like how he plays. He plays nasty. We thought he would, and he did play nasty. And i got to be honest with you, when it comes to just first glance, eye test, broadcast, angle, I don't think they lost anything by going from Hernandez to Lemieux. It's disgusting that I have to say that. This Hernandez thing, to me, is turning into one of the biggest indictments on Gettleman's entire tenure. Obviously, Andrew Thomas is another, but at least he's only four, eight, not eight games into his career. Hernandez has just been playing for a year, two and a half years now. I mean, and ultimately, I don't think, feel like they lost much by not having him on the field. Didn't seem like it. 
almost feels like they gained some in the run game. They were really, like you said, imposing opposing I mean I guess this isn't the greatest defensive front for the Bucks without Vita Vea and some injuries they've had up front but against any front man especially those linebackers that they have they really won the point of attack a decent amount I know in the end the yards per carry didn't look that great but I don't know if that was ultimately because they ran in a lot of obvious rundowns and they had that stupid jet sweep at the end for zero and some plays like that in the red zone that they ran for zero. But ultimately speaking, I felt like at times they really did dominate the point of attack. So I'll be interested to see that. Andrew Thomas, I thought, played better per the eye test on the broadcast angle until that horrendous rep he had at the end where he gave up another unbelievably bad one-on-one sack. But that was one rep. If he only has one bad rep a game, that's fine. I mean, Donovan Smith got destroyed on a few reps by Leonard Williams. Speaking oh, of, Leonard Williams, man, beast, man, he had an unreal game, Leonard Williams. And the thing is this, the Giants defense played unbelievable tonight, especially considering how often they were on the field and how many possessions the Bucks had. They played unbelievable defense. And considering they had to play those two quick change turnovers that Daniel Jones threw that put them in a horrible sudden position. Change. Sudden change turnovers that put... And part of that was the play, a big part of that was the play of Leonard Williams. And I'm starting to get more on this Williams over Tomlinson bandwagon when it comes to who to go with moving forward. That's difficult for me, man, because I think each player allows your defense to do so many different things because Williams is just incredibly versatile and he's one of the more underrated players in the NFL. And I know a lot of Giant fans probably don't want to hear that, but he really is incredibly talented. And I think it was on display in Monday Night Football. And then Dalvin Tomlinson allows you to just two-gap. He can play nose and he's just just a, a moose on the defensive line. You can't even move the guy and he just has a nose for the football. I love both of those players. They're two of my favorite Giants, to be honest, right now. And I just... I've always had an affinity for Dalvin Tomlinson, but that's going to be a really interesting decision. And I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot on podcasts leading up to that decision. Yeah, but, and, I, and I won't hate if they go with both. I just think... you got to be smart the, about it. Yeah, you got to be smart about it because, again, you don't want to pour too many resources into IDL. A. B, you have BJ Hill who literally flashes every time he's on the field. It's amazing. You can't get snaps, but that's what happens when you pour this many assets into one position. And C obviously with covid and everything going on the cap is not expected to jump that much so they really won't have as much flexibility as they originally thought though they do have a rookie contract on the quarterback position so you should be spending you should be backloading deals you should be going to win now so ultimately if it comes down to something like leonard williams and dalman thompson or leonard williams plus Allen robinson yeah. or or Dalvin Tomlinson plus Allen Robinson, I'm going with the option B both times, and I'm just putting B.J. Hill on the field for more snaps. Or Austin Johnson for, you know, like there's there's guys you can just get in there. You can get some another, I mean, not another Dalvin Tomlinson, but you can get somebody who's big who can hold up at the point of attack, possibly two-gap. B.J. Hill, it's not necessarily his game. He's much more of the quick upfield burst kind of a... Uh kind of pass rusher somebody who's solid against the one more of a one gapping type of defender though but how about Jabril Peppers man Jabril Peppers was everywhere he had those two passes defense he was everywhere again in this game this is the third straight week we've been talking about Jabril Peppers man he really shows up in these games it just sucks that the Giants can't win and really reward this guy I'm so happy you brought up Jabril Peppers because he took a lot of flack for one play against the Eagles that wasn't even his fault it was an unbelievably perfectly placed ball by Carson Wentz he, he could have played Zip. that he could have played that better though Jabril that was, that oh, was bad so? yeah that was bad technique he has to go up and uh Jerome Anderson talks about talks about at the end of the game okay. he has to go up with his uh with his inside hand there and, and just limit the space and just so he has the other hand to disrupt if he misses it. Mm-hmm. Instead, he kind of like swats at it, doesn't really get his head around with his outside arm and the technique there. Okay. He, he should know better in that situation. But again, he had a fantastic game up until that point yeah, against, Philly. against Philly. And then tonight, 
He was unbelievable. He had two great passes defense. He stopped that long ball at the beginning of the game where he got his hand on it. And again, he just fills so well in the run game. Peppers is a guy that I think should be, uh, he's one of the guys who I'm down to continue to go forward with and give a second deal to whenever that comes. I mean, obviously we won't have to make that decision this offseason just yet, thankfully. But that's somebody who I'm intrigued of. Anyone else you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, I think Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown splitting a sack was pretty cool just to see a rookie sixth and seventh round pick getting in there in a big third down and sacking Tom Brady. It's pretty dope to see, to be honest. And then Logan Ryan, I feel like he missed that one tackle, but I just always feel like he's one of the most important players on this defense and I just really wish the Giants had Xavier McKinney out there to be under his tutelage I think that would be awesome for him to develop under him under Logan Ryan in this Patrick Graham defense and he's just somebody that would be incredibly versatile Darnay Holmes I think it was a welcome sight to see him back and then Isaac Yidem somebody that I'm Mm. very critical of because I don't think he's that great of a cornerback he came up big in a couple spots had a pass defense he had that penalty that I'm not going to sit here and blame and just to go on a little tangent I think the the officiating was absolutely terrible in this game once again (laughs) but I'm not blaming that the loss it's not because that's not the reason the Giants lost the Giants lost because Daniel Jones missed way too many opportunities but I thought the officiating was horrendous once again on primetime television yeah I can see that for sure. I mean, that there was some bad calls for sure. Um, I want to give one final shout-out to Patrick Graham. I know there's no podcast probably in the history of the world that sings the praises of a coordinator more than this one, and specifically Patrick Graham. But come on, guys. This guy is shuffling in sixth, seventh-round picks. He has to play Trent Harris tonight. Devontae Downs. They're Jabal Sheard. Jabal Sheard. Fat Jabal Sheard was on the field. I mean, <laughs> at the secondary, Yidem, an injury happens. He has to put in Lewis. Oh, no, now another injury. Put in Yidem. Oh, an injury in the secondary. You don't get McKinney. Okay, how about uh, Adrian Colbert? Oh, no, he's injured too. He has to shuffle guys week in and week out. He even lost uh, Darnay Holmes for a game. It doesn't matter. No matter what he has to do on this defense, that wasn't very talented to begin with, to be honest, and wasn't provided much. I mean, Dave Gildum's been pouring, pouring top six picks that he refuses to trade down ever. Top six assets is the offensive side of the ball. This guy doesn't works with anything he has. He is genius. I love this guy. I think this is one of the best hires this team has made since Steve Spagnolo at the coordinator position. I tweeted this out tonight. I stand by that. Both sides of the ball, they haven't had a better hire at the coordinator position since Steve Spagnolo as Patrick Graham. I love this guy. I'm so happy he's going to be here next year. Vis-a-vis, I'm not happy Jason Garrett's going to be here next year, which is a foregone conclusion, but I'm so happy Patrick Graham's going to be here and help to continue to build on defense. And I do want a final note before we sign off. And I will. before that, actually, I'll throw the floor back to you, Nick. But one final funny thing I saw come across Twitter as we were doing this podcast, Janoris Jenkins either tweeted out or sent on his Snapchat or Instagram Live, he said, and quote, in Janoris Jenkins speak, a Duke QB over Lamar and wonder wonder why they can't win, laughing my fat ass out. Well, guess what? Guess what, Janoris Jenkins? Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones were not drafted in the same draft class. So, no, they did not take a Duke quarterback over Lamar Jackson. So, well done on your part, Janoris Jenkins. I hope you have no success there in New Orleans. You are a giant. You are now on the giant shit list for me and hopefully Nick as well. I don't know where Nick stands on this. I'm out. I'm out on Janoris Jenkins. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's a dope. <laughs> he's just a dope. He's always saying, I mean, the one reason why he was cut from the Giants was because he said some stupid stuff. So, And by the way, I still think that whole thing that happened with him two off-seasons ago is freaking weird, where his brother had a dead body found in his house, and like somehow that was like in, in, it was like in Bergen County. There's a dead body buried in his brother's house that was bro- – no, it was Janoris Jenkins' house that his brother was living in. Was the whole weird. thing was incredibly weird and somehow got swept under the rug. But that's just – uh. Janoris Jenkins for you, so yeah, it was a, it was odd for sure, <laughs> and that's how we never thought we would, but ended up ultimately ending this Giants Bucks reaction podcast. So thank you to everyone who tuned in for this quick takeaways reaction. Thank you to all the fans of the Big Blue Banter. As usual, do us a favor and give us a shout out on Twitter and give us a shout out on iTunes by rate reviewing and subscribing to the podcast make sure you download all the podcasts that's the key metric we need and we hope for and then lastly follow us on instagram at ny big blue banter that's ny big blue banter sean runs our account and sean is the absolute man when it comes to it i have a feeling that account would be 17 times as popular as it is even though he's already doing an incredible job and the growth has been tremendous if the giants are actually winning football games and eventually they will and that will be great i promise you it will come Lastly, we're thinking about doing something interesting this week, and it will be on Friday at 5 p.m. The details are still being hammered out, but if you want to participate, we're trying to organize for Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern a live Q&A with the Big Blue Banter boys, Nick Filato and myself. That will be at Friday at 5 p.m. I will tweet out some more information on this. You can send your questions in. For those of you who can't attend live, we will try to get to it, but we will prioritize those of you who join in live. It will be on something, on an app that we will tweet out further information on. It's called Locker Room. It's a new app that I think is really cool. It will allow you to interact with us live for a Q&A session. So keep an eye on that. I'm still hammering out the details, but that should be on for this week at Friday at 5 p.m. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will speak to you during the All-22 Breakdown soon.